Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, and today we have a very special episode for you. That's because I'm very happy to be joined by one of the true legends in my business, Mike Monroe, who just wrapped up a 47-year career in print journalism Friday night with his final Spurs gamer for the San Antonio Express News. So Mike, how are you, and more importantly, how does it feel? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm doing quite well, uh, Tim, and it, and, and it feels great. Uh, I, I'm not done with... Uh, with my career quite yet, I'll be uh, uh, very soon moving into uh, the uh, uh, out of the print world and into the digital world. Uh, but uh, uh, that, that'll be another chapter we'll talk about another time. But uh, uh, yeah, it does. It feels good. No, and um, everyone, everyone who knows you knows that retirement wasn't exactly going to suit you. So um, I'm everyone. I, I know everyone's fired up that you're still going to be around, but. It is a uh, it is a pretty remarkable career you've had. It's, you've been been in the business almost 50, 50 years. You've bounced from you know a couple different places. You've been covering the NBA uh, at least thirty years. You've been around basketball for forty five. So um, when I was in San Antonio last week, um, it, it was a very easy call to try to get you to come on the podcast and tell stories because. Mike, for you, those of you in the audience who haven't got to know him, like I have, has more stories than anyone on the planet, and probably everyone on the planet put together, um, specifically <laughs> about the NBA. So, um, so Mike, where where did you where did you what was the first game that you covered professionally? Well, uh, believe it or not, I, we have to go all the way back to 1968. I, my my very first job uh, in the business, Tim, was uh, at the Colorado Springs Free Press one of the many, many papers that are no longer with us. Uh, and I was uh, one of a, I think we had four full-time sports writers uh, on the staff and, and one sports editor. And um, the, the ABA had started up. Uh, the Denver Rockets were one of the inaugural teams in the ABA, which began in 1967. And, and uh, uh, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm a lifer as far as basketball, uh, and always been, uh, in, in, you know, a huge fan. I played, I played ball in, in high school in a, in a very good, uh, high school program and whatnot. Uh, and so I said, wow, there's a, there, you know, this new pro league is in Denver. And I, I kept trying to convince my boss that we needed to do something with it. And he finally told me, okay, you can go to Denver. You can, you can write, you know, write a feature about the, the, the new league and the Denver Rockets, but I'm not. I'm not paying you mileage. Uh, it was about 70 miles up to Denver, and I had a 1952 Volkswagen Beetle that wouldn't go more than about 38 miles an hour up some of the steepest hills on the way. Uh, from, <laughs> and there's a, from, there's from just a few hills, to too. There's just a few hills, too. There are a Corral, few hills. Corral. Yes, there are. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, but, but I made I made three different trips up to, uh, uh, maybe four trips uh, up to uh, to Denver, uh, to, to write about this new league, I thought it was I thought it was fascinating. Plus, I wanted to see the games, and uh, you know, so I arranged for credentials and I went up and uh, and and covered these games. The, the, the first game, and 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 I may, I may be conflating some of the games that I uh, uh, that I saw, but my, I think the very first one was the Denver Rockets against the Pittsburgh Pipers with Connie Hawkins, uh, who for the some of your lung, younger. Uh, listeners, uh, Connie Hawkins was a great, great player. One of the one of the many great players who who had most of his career in the in the American Basketball Association. Um, he was he was sort of Dr. J before Dr. J. 
And uh, and gosh, I hope your I hope all of your listeners, regardless of age, know who I mean by Doctor J. But, uh, <laughs> yes, I but think at so. Any rate, uh, uh, I, you know, the, the first game I covered, the, the, the thing that that struck me more than anything else was walking into the locker room after the game, and and uh, conservatively, at least half of the players were smoking cigarettes, and and all of the players had a little uh, a little ice bucket with 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 three or four beers in it, and they were all in there, they were all in there uh, drinking beer, and about half of them were smoking cigarettes. And I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> what happened to the, uh, you know, the, the, the training rules, you know, but uh, this, is, this is the way it was. And uh, uh, it, it, the, the ABA, of course, was sort of the, the wild and woolly league. And, uh, uh, and, you know, and I, I interviewed, uh, uh, ironically enough, the, the first coach of the Denver Rockets was Bob Bass, who would later uh, turn up in San Antonio as the general manager and also the coach. And, he was with the Charlotte Hornets as the general manager and moved on to New Orleans, and and it still lives in San Antonio. And and uh, um, but uh, I I got to interview people uh, like like Bob Bass and the the the, the great Babe McCarthy, the coach of the uh, New Orleans Buccaneers, who I also covered in one of those that that, that first year. And they had a they had a high scoring forward named Doug Moe, who. If, if you if you want to ask a great trivia question, ask uh, uh, ask anybody who was the leading scorer in the first year of the ABA, and it was Doug Moe uh, in terms of, of total points. But uh, uh, it, it was a it, it was an amazing experience for a uh, a 21 year old uh, sports writer and basketball nut. So that was that was my first experience with professional basketball. What? And- and, oh, and by the way, the kicker to the story is I, I, I wrote. I wrote this huge, long uh, feature piece about the upstart league and how much fun it was and everything. And the, uh, uh, the the sports editor kept kicking it over from one Sunday to the next Sunday to the next Sunday. And Tim, you'll, you know, you can relate to this because you know there wasn't space to run this long story. And then the sports editor got fired, and the next sports editor had no interest. So the story never ran anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep that that happens in our business sometimes. Now that story that story perfectly encapsulates the Mike Monroe experience because you know pretty much everybody that's ever been in the league from about 1968 until now, and you go to one game, and the first game you go to, you end up meeting four people that you were involved with extensively um down the road and whenever whenever you go out for drinks with Monroe or even just hanging out with them um there's inevitably about six stories that all intersect with each other that all go back to about 1970 and it's uh it's pretty it's a pretty remarkable it's a pretty remarkable Rolodex that you've built up and also by the way so you don't see uh Duncan uh Tim Duncan smoking and drinking in the locker room after games that doesn't happen uh, no, no, you know, maybe that's why they keep us out for so long. So they've all they've all stubbed out their cigarettes before we get in. <laughs> that might be it. That might be it. So you mentioned, you know, and, then, and then of course I, I I began covering the league, uh, the the NBA on a uh, on a full time basis when I was at the Denver Post. Uh, in in uh, my first full season doing the NBA was was 1985-86, uh, covering the Denver Nuggets for the Denver Post. I had done, you know, occasional pieces, filling in for people. You know how it works. Uh, sure. If, uh, previously to that, uh, um, but uh, you know, since 1985, the NBA has been 
pretty much the only thing I have covered uh, in my career. And, and, and again, uh, you know, the, the Broncos would get in the playoffs and, uh, and, you know, pretty much the entire staff would be assigned to uh, this sidebar and that sidebar at the games. And, uh, uh, and so I, you know, I, I always had my, uh, uh, you know, a few other things that, that you did, but, but the, the primary assignment was the NBA for, for over 30 years. No, and, 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 uh, and you and you became synonymous with people in Denver. Um, you know, I mean, you were there. You covered the you covered the Nuggets for about fifteen years there, and then you lived there for a while after that. And uh, you know that that's really where you became synonymous. But when you when you came in, um, you know, a lot of people don't really remember now because it's been a, it's been a while. But you know, Doug Moe's teams were were pretty you know pretty fun to watch. He scored a ton of points. They ran up and down. Um, the, the real you know they had, he was he was one of the first guys that really adopted kind of flying up and down the court what what was it like being around him and around around those teams well Doug, Doug Moe is uh, first of all is one of the most wonder, wonderful personalities that I've ever met he's still a great still a dear friend he lives in San Antonio we we get together for lunch uh, occasionally uh he, he's just a fun guy he's, you know uh, from Brooklyn has that sort of has that Brooklyn attitude uh which you know uh and uh he's he's a terrific guy and his his approach to basketball uh, was, you know, he, he was sort of, uh, seven seconds or less before, uh, uh, before Mike D'Antoni. I mean, uh, the ABA was a fast break league and he brought that, you know, he brought that with him and, and he wanted his teams to push the pace every possession. And, uh, uh, the, his teams led the league in scoring, uh, almost every year that he coached. And of course, he he also coached the Spurs uh, at one point, but before he coached the Nuggets, uh, and the same thing, they they pushed the pace as well. Uh, George Gervin has told me that uh, you know it was it was Doug Moe that was that really made him the uh, the NBA scoring champion uh, those years because uh, it was push the pace and take the, take every every open shot. But uh, uh, you know, Doug, Doug was a uh, uh, also a, a a great guy to cover. He, he, he was a great storyteller himself. He, you know, he, he knew a million jokes and, and he liked to have a good time. And my very first assignment covering the nuggets, ironically enough, took me to San Antonio, Texas to what used to be known as the Midwest rookie review. And it was the very first summer league. And it was all of the teams in the Midwest division, uh, the, the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, the Dallas Mavericks, the, uh, the San Antonio Spurs, the Houston, the Houston Rockets. And, uh, there were, I believe there were six teams in the division then. And, and just to give and, people uh, an idea, Mike, this is like 1985-ish. And, and so, so yeah, who are some of the exactly. guys that are playing in that league at that point? Because there were a few pretty decent rookies around then, I think. Oh, sure. Uh, uh but, but, uh. Uh, you know, the, the draft was also about, I, I, I want to say at the time there, there were, there were 10 rounds in the draft, maybe eight rounds in the draft. Right. And so, and so you would have these draft picks and then, and then of course the free agent thing and every, every team would have their own little mini camp, uh, go on for, for about a week and they might bring in, uh, you know, uh, a dozen free agents, and then they'd take uh, they take ten or eleven guys, all their draft picks, and, and a few of the free agents that made the summer roster to San Antonio for the Midwest Rookie Review at the Blossom Athletic Center, which is a basically a, 
a very nice high school gym and uh, uh, and play these these, uh, these series of games. We went on for about a week, and um, and that was my in, in inauguration to covering the the NBA. And and uh, the, the the greatest memory I have of my first year doing this um, from that that first assignment was an off day. Uh, when uh, Doug Moe organized a trip to SeaWorld, which had just opened in San Antonio in 1985. Um, and I had a rental car, and there was one other rental car, and I can't remember who had it. Might have been, uh, it might have been the trainer, Chopper Travellini, but uh, there were two rental cars, and the group that went, to, that went to SeaWorld on this off day, all organized by Doug Moe, was was Doug Moe, his assistant coach Alan Bristow, and by the way, back in 1985, when you say when I say he was the Nuggets assistant, that's what I mean. There were there was one assistant coach for really. Right, one guy, not seven guys. Not, like now that. there now, now there's a, there's a half a dozen, but uh, it was Doug and Alan Bristow, his assistant, and Chopper Travellini, the trainer, and Bill Hanslick, who I think was rehabbing an injury and came down to do some work with Chopper. Uh, during during that, that that period, Bill Hanslick, a player who later became the Nuggets head coach for for, for one forgettable eleven and seventy one season, uh, and, and and then Chuck Daly, the great Chuck Daly, and his assistant coach Brendan Malone, uh, and uh, a scout named uh, Al Menendez that everyone loved. Uh, I believe Al, he was another New York kid uh, guy. Uh, and I, I, I think at the time he was, he was scouting for the Indiana Pacers, but don't hold me to that. But, uh, so here's our, here's our group. And there may have been another, uh, someone else, another head coach or whatever. And here, here's our group. And we, we spent about five hours at SeaWorld on a blistering hot day in San, in the, in San Antonio in July and, uh, had, had more fun than, than any group should be allowed to have. And uh, at, for years, going around the league, you know, if I if I go to cover a game that the Pistons were playing, you know, go up to the interview, Chuck Daly, first thing first thing Chuck would say was, "How about that Shamu?" <laughs> Run into Brendan, Mer- Brendan Malone later, you know, "How about that Shamu?" Alvin Endes, "How about that Shamu?" That's what we all said to each other for years. And and uh, when Mike Malone. Now the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, when Mike Malone became the, the, the head coach of the Sacramento Kings, came to San Antonio for the first time. He does his he does his pregame coach interview, and and I'm, I'm I'm walking down the hallway, and he goes, "Hey, Mike!" And I turn around, and he goes, "How about that Shamu?" Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's just uh, uh, you know that, that's the Doug Moe influence right there. Uh, have a good time, you know. It's it's all about uh, it, it's all about having some fun. Well, and that was so. and that was a hell of a time to come into the league in the eighties because you've got, I mean, San Antonio. I mean, San Antonio still because Georgia Georgia just wrapped up, I guess. But um, you had the Rockets down there who were very good. The Mavericks were very good. Um, uh, the the Nuggets obviously had Doug Moe and they were a fun team to watch. Uh, the Lakers obviously had Magic. The Celtics had Larry Bird. You know, Jordan was just coming right. into the league. I mean, that was kind of the, you know, you you kind of you kind of jumped on. I would say at the uh, kind of the beginning of the well, the, well absolutely. The climb, it was right? you know it it was look it was it was it was a golden age of of covering the NBA because 
uh, today's today's beat writers uh, would you know won't don't believe that uh, we used to fly on the same planes because none of the teams had charter aircraft. So you'd get you'd get the itinerary from the, the, the each team's traveling secretary uh, and giving you the flight numbers and everything. And this is this is the plane you know the, the flights were going to take. You'd book the same flights, and then you, you'd land in uh, you know you'd land in Salt Lake City, and you know you jumped on the team bus. Uh, you know you, I, I would go and uh, uh, myself and whoever was covering for the Rocky Mountain News, the other newspaper. He, uh, he, he and I would uh, would go help Chopper Travellini schlep the bags uh, off the uh, uh, off the baggage carousel onto the onto a cart and, and load them onto the bus and uh, that was you know, that was sort of like okay this is you guys got to do this if you're going to ride the bus and then you go and you stay at the same hotel you, uh, you, you go down for breakfast in the morning uh, and and you know you walk into the coffee shop and uh, uh, in the case of the Nuggets it might be. Uh, uh, Doug Moe and Alan Bristol say, "Hey, hey, Monroe, okay, yeah, sit down, have breakfast." Or it might be, uh, you know, Bill Hanslick and Alex English and and, and Dan Issel. Hey, hey, can I, you want to sit down? You want to have breakfast with us? You know, the the the, the relationships with the with, with the people involved with the teams uh, was was so much closer then than it than it is now. And I have great friendships that I made back in the day that I, you know, that, that it, you know, continued to this day. It was a, it was a different, uh, uh, a different feeling altogether. And, and, uh, I, I regret that that's gone from the NBA, uh, by and large, but, uh, I, I still have great, great friendships with a lot of the old, uh, uh, the other old timers who were around in that day. And it was a great time in the NBA magic, magic and bird. And then, as you say, Jordan has now come in. Uh, had quite taken over the league at that point. Um, you know, the, the, that was a time when, when uh, you know, the, the, the MVP vote every year always came down to, is it going to be Larry this year? Or is it going to be Magic? You know, the, the, the Lakers and the Celtics had those uh, that, that string of NBA uh, finals that they played together, and uh, they were clearly the two best teams in the league uh, in, in the late, uh, late 80s. And, uh, and that leads me to another great story. Yeah, I was going to say I was trying to tee uh, up on the Larry Bird story. This is this is uh, this well, is one of my favorites. Uh, so, uh, my, my dear friend Jan Hubbard, who at the time was the uh, uh, NBA columnist for the Dallas Morning News, he later moved on and became uh, the media relations director for the NBA. But that's another story. Uh, but but Jan uh, uh, Asked Larry Bird once. He, he said, "Look," he said, uh, it, uh, "It came down late in the season, and he, uh, the Celtics were in Dallas, or, or or he was in Boston, or whatever." And he said, "He said if you had to vote for uh, for MVP, what what criteria would you use?" And Larry told him about. He says, "I've got my own formula for how to quantify who is the most valuable player." And and what it was was it was sort of a uh, an early version of the player efficiency rating, the PER. He said, take points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, deduct missed field goals, missed free throws, personal fouls, and turnover, and you come up with a, with a number, and then you, you know, um, and, and you do this for the whole season, divide by the games played, and you come up with a number, and, and whoever's got the highest number should be the MVP. Well, it was no coincidence that by that formula, typically, Larry would come out with a higher number than Magic Johnson, but uh, uh, but at any rate, 
Jan wrote about that, and he called it the Larry Bird formula. And so the next year, he you know he got a bunch of us who were uh, in a notes group, and Tim, you probably know what I'm talking about. There was well, explain that to people who are young, who are who are because like that doesn't exist anymore with the internet and everything. It, it, so just explain that to the it, listeners. Well, <laughs> this was be <laughs> this was before the uh, uh, the internet, kiddos. And, uh, and to to share information for for uh, Sunday notes columns, which are also a, pretty much a thing of the past. Uh, those of you who read David Aldridge's uh, uh, NBA column that runs on NBA.com, that's that's about you know five thousand words each uh, e- each week. They, they were similar to that. You'd have a you know you'd have a lead topic, and then it was just little notes and 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 uh, short notes. We used to call them. Uh, Three dot uh, uh, columns because uh, you know one little note about the Nuggets dot 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 another little note about the Mavericks dot dot dot. You know. uh, but uh, back in the day, the way you compiled this information was you you called on your your your, your buddies in the other NBA cities, and we had a group of about fifteen fifteen writers, uh, and we would we would call one another uh, on. Friday before we wrote our, our, our NBA Sunday pages and, uh, and share all this information. So, so Jan got together. I, I think there were 12 of us in the very first uh, group. He decided he was going to, to have a fantasy basketball league based on the Larry Bird formula. So we would each draft a team of 10 players and, uh, and, use this Larry Bird formula as the basis for our fantasy league. And so he was, this was back in the day when newspapers had uh, large travel budgets for their, uh, <laughs> for their people. And Jan was sent out to cover a, a, a do a, do a, a Celtics piece in the preseason. And he walks into the, uh, the, the Celtics locker room and walks up to Larry Bird and explains to him, he says, hey, Larry, we're going to use your formula. I'm, I'm starting a fantasy league and we're going to use your formula. And Larry thought that was pretty cool. And Jan said, well, we would be honored if you would pick our draft order. And he had all the names of the, uh, of the players in the, in the fantasy league in, in, in little slips of paper. And he, you know, he, he had a hat and he put them all in a hat. And, and Larry said, sure. And so he picked out the draft order for our draft. And, and he wanted to know, and he told Jan, he says, well, he says, I want to know who's got me on their team. And, and this went on for, for a number of years where Jan would always make sure he got to, um, to a Celtics game in the preseason so that Larry could pick our draft order. And he always wanted to know whose team he was on. And one year he was on Jan's team, but he got, uh, an early season injury that limited his play a little bit and Jan outsmarted himself and he traded Larry Bird for John Stockton and one other player. And the Celtics came to Dallas and, uh, he, he walked up to Jan sitting on press row, uh, during a free throw and said to Jan, and I'll do my little, try to do my Larry Bird impression. He said, Hey, you trade me. (laughs) (laughs) And Jan looked up at him and, and said, so, "Yeah, Larry, I traded you." And uh, Larry's response uh, was, "Well, you dumb sob, watch this." And the next, the next three or four <laughs> trips down the floor, he 
he scored and ran down the floor, just grinning at Jan the whole time. This was this this was the way things used to be. But uh, uh, and 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 we we still have the Larry Bird League going, uh, uh, although we, we we haven't we haven't started it up this year because uh, uh, so many of the original members of the Larry Bird League have uh, have retired or moved on to other things, and so it, it, it's probably come to come to an end now. But uh, uh, I had a conversation with, with with Larry just a few weeks ago for a, a feature story I was doing on David West, uh, former Indiana Pacer, and of course Larry's still the president of basketball operations for the for the Pacers. And I wanted a, a quote from Larry, and and so I was on the phone with him, and he says, "Hey," he says, uh, "You guys still got that Larry Bird League going?" And I said, "Well, we kind of do. We haven't started it up yet, but maybe we will. Maybe we won't." He says. Uh, he says, you dumb SOBs. He says, if you would have franchised that thing back then, you'd all be millionaires. Uh, <laughs> he's and got he's a point. probably right. Yeah, he's got a point. <laughs> now, for people, so. people like obviously people now, you know, they know Larry Bird's one of the greatest players of all time. But I feel like there are more stories like that about Larry Bird than maybe any other great player. Just of him doing just doing stuff on a whim uh, to just either show somebody up or – if he got mad at a player on another team that he was annoyed with how he's guarding him or whatever, it just feels like he, even among the great players, it feels like he was almost the best at just being able to like snap his fingers and and do something over a minute or two stretch like that. Well, and of course, and of course, the famous story about that was was the the, uh, uh, the, the three point contest uh, in in Dallas, the very first NBA three point contest. Uh, you know, it, it, they. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure it was it was the Dallas All Star Game in 1987. Um, I was going to say that happened right after you got into the league. That's why I, I yeah, it was right yeah. right around that time. Uh, I, it was either 86 or 87, uh, but they, they they decided they were going to they were going to have a, a a three point contest at the at the All Star Game, and and of course Larry Bird was in it, and he walked into the the locker room, and and announced which one of you guys is finishing second. Uh, and, and of course, then he went out and 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 won the three point contest. Uh, you know, and and uh, that's uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of guy he was. He was uh, how should we put this? Supremely confident. I think uh, supremely confident is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also a, a, a terrific guy. Um, he he, you know, he was very he was very sort of shy and reserved when he first came into the league. But he he really developed into a a, a terrific interview later on. And and like like so many of those players back in that day, they understood that that uh, they had an obligation to the media. That's, uh, that's another thing that's sort of gone by the wayside these days. But uh, um, you know, Magic Johnson and uh, w- was one of the all timers. It's why the Professional Basketball Writers Association, you know, created the award, a Magic Johnson Award, for an All Star caliber player who understands. You know the the obligation that players have to the media. The guy, uh, a guy who's who's cooperative with the media. We give it every year, and and uh, I've been I've been nominating Manu Ginobili for that award for for the last you know ever since it was created because Manu Ginobili truly understands uh, you know his, his obligation to the media, 
and does it in two languages. Oh, Mon is incredible. I I was talking when I was in San Antonio last week. I was talking to our mutual friend and now your former colleague Jeff Monroe or Jeff McDonald from the uh, the right. San Antonio Express News, and he was telling me he never won the award, and I couldn't believe it because Manu. I mean, not like Manu will talk every day, is eloquent every time when he talks, and like you said, he talks in English and Spanish every day, every time he talks. It's incredible. Right. Right. No, he's he's remarkable. So. Um, so you went from obviously those Doug Moe teams were, you know, flying up and down the court and scoring a ton of points. And then, you know, a few years later, they, the, the Nuggets kind of transitioned to when they got, um, to Kembe Mutombo, um, as they got him in the draft and he, you know, he kind of came the, the focal point for the franchise there for a bunch of years in the nineties. And I guess he was probably, he was probably the best player you covered in Denver, right? Uh, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a very good question. Now you have to remember. That that uh, uh, you know, I, I I did cover Alex English, and here's another here's another great trivia question for your your podcast listeners that they can lay on their friends. Ask uh, <coughs> ask any uh, ask anyone who was the leading scorer in the decade of the 1980s, and of course everyone everyone jumps on Kareem, Magic, Bird, Jordan. The answer is Alex English. He was a heck of a player. Uh, he was a heck of a player. He was a heck of a scorer, I can tell you that. He had a uh, and and he played for Doug Moe, whose teams annually led the league in scoring because of the pace. And so uh, uh, so Alex Alex is in there and and of course uh Dikembe was not not the scorer that uh, that Alex was, but he he certainly was he he was the best Defender and rebounder. Uh, the the, the or I should say, he was the best shot blocker and rebounder I ever covered uh, uh, with the Nuggets. But I actually think the best player, the greatest player I covered with the Nuggets was uh, someone who's never going to be in the Hall of Fame, unfortunately. And and uh, uh, a lot of people don't don't even know who he was. But it was uh, it was Lafayette Fat Lever. Who, oh sure, uh, Fat Lever. Fat Fat Lever led the league in triple doubles. Uh, for uh, a, a, a two or three year stretch, maybe longer, and that was a time that was at a time when Magic Johnson was still in the league, uh, and uh, unfortunately he he had a knee injury and he got a he got a, 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 a again this was back at a time when there was no arthroscopic surgery this was this was old school um, orthopedic procedures and he, he got a he got a surgery that didn't. He was ill-served, let's say, by the surgery that he got, and uh, and he was never the same. But uh, he was he was uh, he was a great defender. He was a, a, an amazing rebounder for a six foot three guy. Uh, and well, let me just run through his numbers uh, quick, Mike, because I, I just went to look him up. So from eighty seven to ninety, here were his numbers: eighteen point nine points, eight point nine rebounds, eight assists, two and a half steals, and eighty seven. 18.9 points, 8.1 rebounds, 7.8 assists, and 2.7 steals in 88. 19.8 points, 9.3 rebounds, 7.9 assists, and 2.7 steals in 1989. And 18.3 points, 9.3 rebounds, 6.5 assists, and 2.1 steals in 1990. Now, the, the, the Nuggets were flying around the court. However, those are still crazy numbers for a 6'3 shooting guard. They are. They are. Well, he was a point guard. Uh <laughs> if you can believe it. So, oh, true. That's right. I uh, wasn't even thinking about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, uh, you know, I, I covered so, I covered some great teams and some great players. That's for sure. But Matumbo, uh, you, you know, 
he didn't he didn't he didn't last that he didn't stay that long with the with, with the Nuggets. His first his first opportunity to become a free agent, he ended up in Atlanta, and and that's you know that's another story too. Um, but uh, uh, they the, the let's just say the Nuggets uh, the Nuggets didn't play their hand properly, and, and that was a that was a different time for free agency. And uh, he, he was represented by David Falk, one of the great agents, uh, uh, Michael Jordan's agent. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, David Falk gave a, pretty much gave the Nuggets the chance to, uh, uh, to, to re-sign, uh, Dikembe before he would become a free agent. And they, they decided they were going to take their chances. Let's just put it that way. And he ended up in Atlanta. So he, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't remain in, in, in Denver as long as he probably should have. But, uh, uh, Deke was, uh, uh, was a, a fun guy to cover and, uh, uh, a bigger than life personality, and uh, the, the highlight of his time in in, in Denver, of course, was the 1994 uh, first round playoff series against Seattle when the when the the Nuggets eke into the playoffs in the number eight seed, and they have to play the uh, the Seattle SuperSonics, who had the best record in all of the NBA, and, and they had uh, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp at the peak of their powers too. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Sam Perkins, uh, Nate McMillan, Detlef Schramm. Uh, they 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 had uh, Detlef Schramm. They had they had a great team, coached by George Carl, uh, and uh, the, the and they and they blew the Nuggets out in the first two games in Seattle, and uh, they come down for for game three, and again this is remember this is when teams were flying commercial. Uh, and they come down to Denver for game three and George Carl booked them on a, on a return flight to Seattle for the next day. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. I didn't even know that part of the story. Now there was two, there were, there were two, two days off in between games. Okay. And so they, they, they spun it that he wanted them to be home, you know, for, you know, after they lost, but, uh, it, it certainly was a motivating factor for them. Uh, for, for the Nuggets after they won Game Three to get take the series to two games to one, but I mean they, the, the the first two games were were just uh, you know crushing blowouts, but the, uh, uh, the the Nuggets won Game uh, Game Three, and and then in between Games Three and Game Game Four, uh, Dikembe Mutombo told us all about how he had seen this all in a dream and. And he swore that he saw, you know, the, the Nuggets winning games three, four, and five, and we all rolled our eyes. But then after they won, uh, after they won game four at McNichols Arena, you know, we all said, well, uh, you know, it, it was a it was a decent enough dream, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in in game five in Seattle. And of course, they went back to Seattle and they and they won game five in overtime. And uh, and there's a there's sort of a famous photo. Of Matumbo after after Seattle's final uh, shot of overtime went off the rim and he grabbed the rebound, uh, preserving Denver's overtime victory. He just sprawled on the floor, holding the ball above his head on the floor, and uh, um, you know people swarmed over there. The, the, the Nuggets all swarmed around him and so forth. And but my 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 best memory of that locker room after the game, which was Bedlam, was I was in there. Uh, I, I was there with uh, uh, with uh, the post columnist Mark Kisla and uh, uh, the the other uh, beat writer 
who uh, a young woman named Donna Carter, uh, one of the one of the very first women who uh, who was assigned to, to cover an NBA team, by the way. Uh, and we were we were all in the locker room, you know, uh, doing. And I said, okay, I'll cover. You know, I'll I'll talk to this guy. You talk to that guy. You know how the deal goes. And I'm talking to whoever it was I was talking to. It might have been Lafonso Ellis. Um, and I'm enveloped in a bear hug from behind and spun around. And it was Brian Williams, the late Brian Williams, uh, who was still playing as, as Brian Williams had not yet changed his name to Bison Delay. Uh, but, uh, he had had a wonderful game himself, uh, a bunch of rebounds late in the second, in the second half, done some scoring. He, and, and I had a nice relationship with Brian. Uh, he was a uh, he was a different personality. He he a lot of things were more important to him than basketball. Uh, he was a brilliant brilliant guy. I'm I'm convinced his IQ was way up there. Uh, he was a you know he was a a reader of philosophy and and religion and and you name it. And uh, uh, but he he spun me around and he said, "Wasn't I something?" And 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 indeed he had been something in this game, and he just he was just he was just overjoyed with uh, uh, you know with, with what had happened, and and uh, it, it was it was it was something that that, that kind of haunted me uh, after you know his unfortunate uh, uh, death uh, in some years ago, and and I think there was a thirty for thirty about. Uh, there was, Bob, yeah. Bob Brian Williams. He had a and remarkable, his, and yeah, and and a lot of people said the same things that you did about um just the kind of the way, not just that basketball uh, wasn't the most important thing to him because you know that's fine, it's it's a game at the end of the day, but um just how smart he was and interesting he was. Like I, I've I've talked to a bunch of people who were around him back in the day, and uh, you know they've all basically said exactly exactly what you did that he was just a really really fascinating guy. He seemed to really leave an imprint on pretty much everybody he was around. Yep. But Matumbo, uh, Matumbo really was uh, a, a dominant player in that series against the Sonics. And then in the next round, the Nuggets got down 0-3 against the Utah Jazz. And that was, the, that was of course, the Stockton Malone Utah Jazz with, uh, with, with Jeff Hornacek as well uh, and, and some other uh, solid uh, players, uh, Tyrone Corbin among them. We ended up coaching them later, but uh, at any rate, uh, uh, they got down 0-3. Jazz and came back on them and, and, and got it to 3-3 and, and, and went to Salt Lake City for Game 7, and there were a lot of us who thought, well, you know what, they're going to do it again, but uh, but it didn't happen. I, uh, it's amazing, Mike. I'm looking at this, I'm looking at Matumbo's games uh, from that playoffs, and I, I my eyes just bugged out of my head because I don't remember that at all, that that they got back to, to Game 7. They must, are they, they must be the only team that's ever done that in the NBA, right? Uh, I actually, I think it's been, uh, well, it, it was actually, let's see, let me think. Uh, I, I was trying to think of the, 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 the Spurs. I, I don't, I don't think they were a free O on the, uh, uh, on the old Washington bullets in the, in the first year or the second or in, in 19, I think it was 78 or 79. Uh, when the, when the Spurs were in the Eastern conference, which a lot of people don't understand, uh, realize either. That they started out uh, their first year in the NBA, first years in the NBA in the Eastern Conference. But I think they were up on they were up three games to one on the uh, uh, on the Washington Bullets and then lost three in a row. But uh, I don't you you may be right about that that it uh, that may be the only team that ever 
took a three zero series to three three. Uh, but either way, it's remarkable, uh, and I didn't remember it. And by the way, Dikembe that year averaged thirteen points, twelve rebounds, and five five point eight blocks per game over those twelve games right. in forty three minutes. He was he was right. uh, he was not right, bad. Right. He was he was he was a defensive force. There's no question about that. But uh, that was a uh, that that was a that was a fun run and and uh, uh, certainly a memorable series. And uh, uh, had had they gone had they gone to the, uh, um, the the Western Conference Finals that year, I'm not I'm not so sure they wouldn't have won that one too. Uh, <laughs> although that was that was the Houston Rockets who won the NBA championship that year, and that was a pretty. That was a pretty good team. That would have been pretty cool uh, to see him going against Hakeem in the playoffs, though. That would have been that would have been a heck of a series. It would have been, and and uh, uh, you know that, uh, that there was I, I covered I covered a game um, between the Rockets and the, and and the Nuggets in that in that same time span. It wasn't it wasn't that ninety four year I don't believe uh, in, in which. Uh, uh, Akeem Olajuwon scored, I believe, 51 points, and Mahmoud Abdul Raouf scored 54. And in a in a little post game, uh, uh, how shall I put this? Uh, I I met Rudy T and uh, Rudy Tomjanovich and uh, and a couple other fellows uh, at a uh, at a bar for for, for some post game beers. And Rudy Rudy T said, uh, "Hey, it was uh, it was." Muslims 105 and infidels whatever whatever the hell else they scored and uh, uh, you know it's a, uh, I, again I'm I'm not sure how that uh, that Western Conference Finals would have played out but it would have been a whole lot of fun it would have been would have been pretty cool now the other person that you came across during your Denver days that people might not quite realize is Mike D'Antoni um, because everybody knows everybody knows Mike obviously from his time with the Suns and since with the Knicks and the Lakers, but his first coaching job in the NBA was actually with the Denver Nuggets, which I don't know if a lot of people Indeed know. it was. He was actually hired by Alan Bristow, who was the general manager of the, uh, um, of the Nuggets back in that day. And this would have been, um, I'm trying to think the time frame now. And uh, well, it was 1997, I believe. Uh, and, uh, he, he was hired, he was hired as sort of an, uh, a director of basketball operations or something, uh, his, his assistant. But then that was the year that, that, that Bill Hanslick was the, uh, the head coach. It was his first year as head coach and things weren't going so well for, uh, uh, for Bill. And, and so Mike ended up on his, uh, on the bench as an assistant coach, sort of, sort of associate head coach, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and then of course <laughs> the Nuggets that year went 11 and 71 and, uh, uh, which is the second worst record in NBA history. And, um, you know, Bill, Bill was, uh, was, was fired at the end of that one season. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to keep going when you're, when you've gone 11 and 71. <laughs> it's and, usually and time Mike, to go. Mike was named it. I'm sorry. I just said that's usually time to go when that happens. Yeah, and so Mike became the coach the next year, and of course that was the uh, that was a lockout year that was uh, shortened to uh, to 50 games in the 98-99 season. And uh, I, I want to say that uh, I, I think Mike Mike's Mike's team went 16 and 34, uh, but 14 and 36, but he and I got, close. 
14 to 36. 14 to 36. Yep. Okay. You've got, you've got basketball reference. Yeah, I, just, I looked it up. You were close enough. That's yeah. it. You were close enough. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, Mike and I got to be, uh, got to be very good friends because anybody who's ever been around Mike D'Antoni knows what a, what a wonderful person he is. Uh, he, he's a, I think Mike's a heck of a coach and, and he's an even better person than he is a coach. And, uh, and, and he and I, uh, he and I discovered uh, uh, something we had in common, which is a, uh, a, a love of playing craps at casinos. And, uh, uh, we made, we made a few trips to, uh, um, uh, to some casinos along the way, uh, in, in our time together. And, uh, but, but Mike, uh, uh, I think Mike doesn't get enough credit for changing the NBA game to what it is today. Uh, what, what he did with those Suns teams, uh, the, you know, the seven seconds or less teams, uh, Steve Nash and, and Stoudemire and, and, and the others that he had down there, uh, to where they, they pushed the pace every possession. And, you know, he went, he wanted a shot in seven seconds or less, uh, of, of the 24. And the only bad shot was a, was an open shot that you didn't take. Uh, this, this has now become, and that included three pointers, of course. And, and this is this has now become the thing in the NBA, uh, and and you have to give the Golden State Warriors credit for for taking it to the next dimension. Uh, but uh, Greg Popovich will tell you that what Mike D'Antoni did opened his eyes to some of those concepts of of offense, pushing the pace. Uh, to you know, to where the the defense can't get set and so forth. And those Spurs, the the, the Spurs team that won the uh, 2014 championship, everyone talked about the beautiful game, all the passing, and and uh, you know the, the 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 open three pointers and so forth. That I think that owed a lot to uh, uh, to Mike Antoni. So uh, we'll 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 see we'll see how he does with the Philadelphia 76ers as associate head coach. Now this is this is maybe the this may be an even greater challenge than he than he than he took on when he coached the Nuggets in uh, in nineteen uh, uh, Yeah, and and yeah. I and I agree with you on D'Antoni. I mean, he he's a true revolutionary in the game. And you, I mean, you go back. I mean, you were around those early Spurs teams that were winning championships the first half of the Duncan era. They were awful to watch. I mean, they they won they won and they were unbelievable on defense but they would win games 80 to 78 and and Timmy would score 38 points and that was how they won and now you look at them and those they're not even i mean they're not even in the same galaxy as those teams they're one of the most fun teams in the league to watch like you said they push the pace they move the ball um you know they spread the floor it's all it's all kind of the same principles and and that's what that's what pretty much every team in the league has uh has done um and and that right. really does go back to Mike you're, you're, you're right. Certainly he, he, he deserves, he deserves a lot of credit for, for this, you know, the, this innovation, uh, this, you know, the, the move to what the league is. And it's, it's, it's no, uh, uh, it's no coincidence that Jerry Colangelo, uh, was the head of an NBA committee that did a rule, you know, that, that, that changed the rules and did away with hand checking. Right. And, and, right. uh, um, and and change the illegal defense rules some, so uh, to to open up the game and speed it up because it had gotten uh, sort of stultified, and uh, and so yeah, 
but but uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled for Mike that he's back uh, that he's back in the NBA, and and I I, I think that uh, um, the, the Sixers will be better off for it. And uh, although you know he, he's he's gonna uh, he's gonna be coaching all those uh, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, and 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 there therein lies the rub for the uh, for the Seven Sixers. That's 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 a completely different uh, topic. But, yeah, is there uh, is there one D'Antoni story that stands out for you that you have from your time with him? Uh, you know, uh, not really. There's 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 one there's one from that previous season uh, when they were when they went eleven and seventy one. They they were they were stuck on ten wins for uh, for, for oh gosh the longest time, and uh, you know they they were uh, excuse me they, uh, they were stuck on. Uh, uh, on, on nine wins for the longest time, which would have tied them for the worst record all time, nine and 73. Uh, and in the game in which they finally got the 10th win, they beat a good team at McNichols arena. Uh, but, uh, they, th- this was, this was Bobby Jackson's rookie season. Uh, Bobby Jackson, who, uh, played for a number of teams, most and, prominently uh, with the Kings uh, during the Chris Webber era. I think. Right, finished his career with the Kings, and then actually, uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's still on the staff uh, uh, in in, uh, in Sacramento, but he he stayed in Sacramento and, and was was part of their organization for a while. Uh, but he he'd had a really solid uh, rookie season uh, up to that point. In fact. Uh, the the season opener for both the uh, uh, for for the Nuggets was against the San Antonio Spurs first game of the season, uh, and Bobby Jackson outscored Tim Duncan in that game. Now the the, the Spurs won the game uh, pretty handily, but but, but uh, Bobby Jackson scored whatever he scored twenty twenty six or so, and and Tim Tim Duncan had twenty twenty two or twenty three points, uh, but. Bobby had a really good season, but late in the season, the the Nuggets um, they, they made a trade with the Spurs, and they and they got a point guard. and I'm I'm spacing on his name now. I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the point guard that came, sort of a veteran point guard that came up from uh, from San Antonio in this trade, and and he took over as the starting point guard, and he helped them win a few games. And uh, but in this game to which I referenced, they were playing. I want to say Portland. I may be wrong about that, but they were playing a good team, a playoff team. And and they win the game, and they're up. They're uh, they're up. Uh, oh, Corey, Corey Alexander was the point guard. Yeah, I was just going to ask if it was Corey Alexander. I just went to the Wikipedia page or the basketball reference page to look it up. Uh, and and uh, uh, the, the, the the Nuggets are up. Double uh, double digits late in the game, and Bobby Jackson has not played. He has not played a minute, and and uh, there's there's two or three minutes left in the game, and and, and Coach Hanslick wants everybody, all the guys on the team, to participate in this, you know, this meaningful win, and and he tells Bobby to 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 check into the game, and and he's and Bobby. Tells him in, in a in a uh, rather um, insulting way, uh, "The heck with you! I'm, <laughs> I'm not going in the game." And and Bill, and this was back in the day when we sat on press row near the you know uh, 
within five or six feet of the of the bench, right? Right. And and Bill Hanslick says to Mike D'Antoni, he says, he says, Coach, just go 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 tell Bobby to get in the game. Well, yeah, he says, you know, I know he's mad, but tell him he needs to get in the game. And, and <laughs> so Mike goes down and talks to him, and I watch him come back, and he says, he says. He says he's not going in the game. <laughs> so Bill says, okay, fine. <laughs> and, and I actually was writing a book for the NBA that year called NBA Rookie Experience, which focused on six NBA rookies, one of them, of course, being Tim Duncan, and, and another one being Bobby Jackson. Uh, the, the other rookies, uh, let's see, there was uh, Tracy McGrady, Keith Van Horn, uh, 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 an Australian big man named Chris Anstey that I'm sure you've never heard of, uh, and Jack Vaughn. Um, those were those were the six rookies that I focused on uh, writing about in this in this book. But I spent, of course, I spent a lot of time having some long interviews with Bobby uh, for for the book, and uh, and so we you know we kind of had a nice relationship. <laughs> I go in the locker room after the game and he's gone. He's, he's, he didn't play, he didn't shower. He just put his clothes on up. The next morning we had one another's phone numbers and my phone rang very early in the morning and I picked it up and you know, hello. And he says, he says, no, it's Bobby. And I said, yeah. He says, I screwed up, didn't I? except he didn't say I screwed up. Uh, <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, Bobby, you did. He goes, and he says, what do I do? I said, Bobby, you call Coach Hanslick right now, and you and you say exactly what you said to me to Coach Hanslick. You tell him I screwed up, what do I do? And uh, and, and so that's what he did, and, and uh, uh, I think they suspended him for a game and, you know, uh, took a little money out of his paycheck and, uh, but, but he knew you, you can't tell, you can't tell the coach you're not going in the game. So, uh, anyway, uh, just one more, uh, bizarre, <laughs> bizarre thing that I've seen in my, uh, 30, 30 some years of covering, uh, professional. Well, basketball. you've seen plenty. And my, my favorite story from that whole era is the, uh, is the story of Antonio McDice and the Nuggets and the Suns. Which is a which is when at this, at this point uh, the Suns were trying to sign McDice right as a free agent wasn't that the situation? Um, yeah, uh, McDice had okay. The Nuggets had had lost in in his first free agency to the Phoenix Suns, but and he, I, well, I want to say he played two years for the Suns. Free agency rules in those days were much different. Um, and he played two seasons for the Suns, and he became a free agent again. And he was he was he was he was coming back to Denver. Yeah, he played one two years with Denver, one with Phoenix, and then came back to Denver again. Okay, one season with Phoenix. Okay, all right. And yeah, he must have signed. Yeah, he must have just signed. You know, signed the one season. Yeah. Uh, and they had him. They had him. He was in Denver going to sign the contract and this was uh training camp had already begun it was like the, the the second day of training camp and they the nuggets were having their training camp at the air force academy and this is in october and 
I'm at the uh, I, I'm at the training camp session, the evening session, and all of a sudden there's all this activity over in the corner. There's Daniel, so the, 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 the Nuggets coach and, and general manager, uh, and there's a huddle of people. And all of a sudden, Dan's putting a coat on, and he's walking across the floor. And 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 if I'm not mistaken, I'd gotten a uh, I'd gotten a call from um, from from someone saying something's going on with McDice. Uh, so I, I knew something was up anyway. And uh, uh, Dan's walking across the floor to and and, and he's got a coat on. Because it was because it was snowing, it was it was early October and, and we were having a blizzard. And uh, uh, Dan looks at me and says, "Better get back to Denver." And that's all he said. And so I packed up and I went out and I got in my car and I drove the sixty miles from the Air Force Academy up to uh, uh, to Denver in a in what uh, what we call a ground blizzard where the the snow is being blown so hard it's just going sideways in front of you. you can't see it thing. And uh and I and I drove up to McNichols Arena where the, the Colorado Avalanche were playing a hockey game and Antonio McDias was in was in the uh the the, the, the Nuggets had a suite uh that, that they owned for for hockey games as well you know, as well as their own games. And he was in the suite. He he wanted to see a hockey game. And he was he was in the suite with, uh, you know, some other Nuggets, some Nuggets officials. Uh, I think the, uh, uh, the, the CEO of the team or whatever was in there. And, and, and the Suns had sent a private jet up and, and with Steve Nash, Rex Chapman. And I want to say Jason Kidd was there. One too. other player. Jason Kidd was there George too. Link, maybe. I'm sorry. Jason Kidd was there too. Oh, Jason Kidd. Right. Right. And, uh, and they were gonna they were gonna talk him talk McDyson into coming back to uh, to the Phoenix Suns, but but Dan Issel had instructed the security people in the Nichols Arena not to let not not to let anyone else in the arena, you know, and, and especially not these guys. Right, because <laughs> they were just circling the arena in a car. Right, wasn't kid just they driving around the arena, arena in the car? car? They were gonna try to you know, they were gonna try to basically hijack Antonio McDyess and, 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 and take him back to Phoenix. And in, in, in the, uh, in the interim, they, uh, um, I, I think after the game, uh, the, the Nuggets got McDyess's signature on a contract. And, uh, and, and that was the end of that. But, uh, it was, it was, a, it was another bizarre event. And, and, uh, uh, I, I was just, I was just fortunate that I didn't slide off the road on my way, uh, from, from, Colorado Spire of the Air Force Academy up to uh, up to the parking lot of McNichols Arena. Well, you got to do what you got to do to get a story. I mean, I, that's that's yes, the way yes, it is. You do. Now, now what? Now you have a better relationship with Greg Popovich, and I think anyone in the media by a lengthy amount. It's not that Greg doesn't talk to anybody in the media, but but you guys are are pretty tight. So, you know, a lot of people see him on TV as the grumpy guy who doesn't like to do sideline interviews, but. Um, but if you could, if you could indulge the audience for a little while, just describe what what Greg's like um, in private and and kind of what what he's all about. Well, he's he's a wonderful person, uh, but he doesn't want anyone to know he's a wonderful person. Um, he, he he sort of likes his curmudgeonly uh, persona, uh, but um, he's an incredibly smart guy. Uh, an incredibly humble person, uh, 
and he he doesn't like any attention focused on himself. Um, and and basically, you know, he 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 has an expression, you know, get over yourself, and and he wants he wants his players to have gotten over themselves, and he certainly. He certainly thinks media people need to get over themselves. <laughs> right, that's definitely true. And, and and he he has a great sense of humor. Uh, he he likes he likes to poke fun at people, and he likes people to poke fun at him too. And uh, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're in big trouble with pop. Uh, and we've we, we've had uh, we've had our our occasional moments where. Uh, you know, I've I've asked a uh, um, uh, one one of those one of those questions that he deems um, uh, unworthy of a uh, of a serious response, and uh, you know, but but hey, you, you, you just you just re, you know just don't don't take it personal, uh, and he's he's a he's a terrific guy. I I I think it's been a privilege to uh, uh, to cover his teams and him. And, uh, yeah, we, we do, we do have a, uh, um, a, a decent relationship, uh, uh, that, that goes back to the, that owes some to the fact that, that like pop, I did, I did attend the United States Air Force Academy at the same time that pop was there. I was actually a year ahead of him, um, in, in, uh, in school and we have some mutual friends, but, uh, uh, yeah, when you when you go through that, there's a you know there's a um, there's a shared experience that that's that's pretty meaningful and uh, and so that, that that that's part of it. But I but you know pops a pops a terrific guy and uh, uh, and and I think the best coach uh, that I've ever encountered uh, in in my 47 years of uh, uh, as a sports writer. So. And 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 uh, and why is that? I mean, I'm not even necessarily arguing, but what what? Because uh, obviously, you, you know, Brian, yeah. you were you crossed paths with Riley, you crossed paths with uh, Phil Jackson. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, the, you were around Chuck, some great coaches. Daly, so what makes him stand out? Or Chuck Daly. Daly? Yep. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, why? It's because <laughs> it's because Pop. Uh, uh, it, it's because of his adaptability. He has changed his basic approach to offense uh, at least three times since he, you know, since he's come into, you know, the, since he began coaching the Spurs in 1996. Um, and, and he's made some pretty significant changes in the way he's approached offense. As you pointed it out earlier, Tim, uh, the, the 1999 champion Spurs, you know, uh, I don't know what their, their scoring average was, but it wasn't 100. No, no, um, it was not. And and uh, uh, you know he had he had uh, David Robinson and and Tim Duncan in the low post, and it was a it was an outside in uh, offense, and it was a traditional uh, post oriented offense, and and uh, uh, and now they're they're one of the fastest paced teams in the league now. But 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 you look at how they're playing this season. And, it, and it's and it's I think it's another example of his his brilliance. They still push the pace, but they use more of the twenty four second clock 
than any team in the league. I think. I think is. Uh, I think that's accurate at, at this point in the season. And they're also not uh, shooting many threes because they don't because they're, they're they've got the two big guys again and they're they're kind of right, playing a different right, way. Right. But their but their three point percentage is what second or third best in the league. Right helps when your helps when your best player is shooting fifty. Well, that's true. That's true. But uh, but but they still he still likes to push the pace. But he also then then likes that that motion offense that uses up a big chunk of the clock. He doesn't want his guys not to shoot. He still wants his guys to shoot the open shots. And there are occasions where you see him on the sideline and, and, you know, Boris Dial passing, passing up some of the shots that he passes up, you know, you, you can see pop, you know, putting his hands up in the air, like, what are you doing? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's a, I, I think it's a, it, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty smart thing to do. How about that? Uh, the way, the way the Spurs have, uh, have approached offense this year. And of course it, it plays right into the fact that they, that they're the, uh, uh, clearly, at this point in the season, the best defensive team in the league. Now, it didn't, it didn't show the other night against the Clippers, uh, who at one point were shooting, shooting 60% deep into the game. But, uh, um, you know, they found a way to get that done, too. So, uh, but I, I, think, uh, I think that adaptability that he's, he has shown uh, makes him special. Uh, and... And just his approach in general to everything, uh, he's been one of the most innovative coaches in the league, um, in, in league history, in my view. He, he's adapted to, I mean, he's adapted to the analytics movement. Uh, he 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 makes you know he'd like he'd like you to think he doesn't uh, uh, believe in analytics, but he does. He, uh, what he does is he has, you know, he has a whole analytic staff. What he does is listen to them. It, it's not going to change his basic way, uh, basic approach to coaching, but he listens, and when things make sense, he follows them. Um, but uh, he's 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 taken to. I mean, he's he was one of the first coaches to to really have the scientific approach to uh, uh, you know training and health. He's got, you know, he's got a, a sports scientist on staff, or you know, and has for for some years. Um, he, he, I mean, he was one of the first coaches in the league to uh, to go to the, um, you know, the, the the elastic socks that they wear on the plane, so that uh, you know, if they have an ankle sprain, it doesn't blow up on them. You know, I mean, there, there are all sorts of little things that he's done. He's he dabbled in the sleep study stuff for a while, uh, which I think the uh, the Warriors are are, are are bringing back into vogue uh, as to how to you know how to be fresher for for games. And look, maybe maybe one of his greatest innovations ever is managing minutes for his veteran players. Yeah, you talk about Mike D'Antoni uh, changing the league, right? I mean, Greg Popovich has certainly changed the league in terms of, of making teams take a, a harder look at how they play guys and how many minutes they play guys. I mean, that that's no, no, that's been no maybe his lasting it. contribution to the league, to be honest. Well, you're right, and, and not only that, but he's he forced the league to take a look at, at, at uh, um, the number of games played over... You know, over X number of days, 
And, uh, be, uh, you know, he, he forced the league to look at the longevity of players and the, and the grind of the season. We now have uh, very few teams playing four games in five nights. Another, the, the, the Spurs don't play any this season. Uh, and, and, and quite a number of teams uh, don't, don't have any four and five night stretches. And, and they've uh, reduced the number of back-to-back uh, sets for every team in the league. And this is going to have an effect on the, you know, the, the, the length of players' careers. And that may be, that may be as good a legacy as, as, as any for Pop. And, you know, he's got the, he's got the five championships and he's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach whenever he decides to let his name be put forward for consideration, which won't be until after he's retired. But, uh, um, he's, he's, He's really had an impact on on how the game is played, even to the to the effect of uh, uh, how many how many games they uh, they try to squeeze into the season. Well, look we, at you know that that. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and, and look at look at his look at his best player, right? Like you look at the two contemporaries from from that generation, really are Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan. And Correct. for me, Tim Duncan had a superior career in in just about every way to Kobe Bryant, but. The way, but the way, the easiest way for me to make that argument is Tim Duncan is still one of the twenty-five or thirty best players in the league at whatever age he is now, thirty-eight or thirty-nine or 39, 39. thirty-nine. And you know, whenever he needs to play big minutes, he can play big minutes and put up big numbers. And um, you know, he he just does whatever he needs to do. But the reason he's able to do that is because since he was basically a rookie, you know, Greg Popovich has looked out for him at every step of the way and they've they've managed his career as well as you could possibly manage a player's career meanwhile Kobe Bryant has never really listened to anybody he's played a billion minutes and <laughs> and and because of that his kids the end of his career has been marred by him breaking down time after time after time in large part because he didn't ever listen to his body and ever give himself a day off right right and that and that all goes back to pop. Now, speaking of Duncan, you also probably have the best. I shouldn't say probably. You have the best relationship with Tim Duncan of any person in the media anywhere. That is not debatable. Um, and Tim doesn't have you know really many relationships with anybody in the media because he doesn't really like to do any of it. But, um, but you but you've really gotten a chance to know him better, I think, than anybody. And uh, you know, kind of in a similar vein, because he's a guy that doesn't really let people in at all. Um, you know, what, what is, what is Tim Duncan, the guy like? Well, he's a very simple guy. Uh, he, and, and, and again, again, a very humble guy. Uh, he, he doesn't really think he's a big deal. (laughs) He understands, uh, that, uh, you know, he understands what he has done as a basketball player. He, He knows, he knows who he is. And, um, he, he, but he would rather he would rather hang out with his car buddies. You know, he has a business now, uh, Blackjack uh, Blackjack Speed Shop, uh, which is which is basically a, a place where <laughs> where people take their cars to be turned into hot rods, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, I, I have had an opportunity to see him hang out with the you know with the gang at at, at Blackjack Speed Shop. And, and because they don't treat him like something special and he just likes hanging out there and, and, you know, 
watching him work on cars and say, I mean, I mean, he's he's a he, he's a bit of a nerd, and he'll be the first to tell you he's a bit of a nerd. But but he's a he's a simple guy. Uh, he's an island guy, of course. He's, he's born and raised in St. Croix, and he likes that slow pace. And and uh, you know he, the the reason that that you know he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of <laughs> tight relationships with media people is because he doesn't enjoy doing the media, and 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 the key to to having a any sort of a relationship with him if you're a media person is to is to not bother him. Uh, and uh, Tim's, Tim's just a regular guy. And and uh, he, he would love to be able to just, uh, you know, uh, walk into a restaurant and sit down and have a meal by himself. And of course, that, you know, that, that, that's that's one of the, the downsides of being a, 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 you know, a superstar athlete. You can't do that. And, uh, uh, and I'm sure he regrets that. But uh, um, although, I bet, you know, we went after practice, we went to uh, we went to a little little burrito joint uh not too far from the uh uh from the Spurs practice facility one day and he, he he walked in with a couple of pals and 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 you know people pretty much left him alone and i know he enjoys that about san antonio that people people love the spurs so much if they do see them out they don't they don't bug them a lot uh but uh he's just a regular guy and uh, and he's a and he's a good person and he's a he's a great father uh you know he uh uh, when, when he decided to come back for the season, uh, we, we had a little text exchange, uh, about a week or so ahead of, of when, you know, J- July 1st, when it was going to come up and, and, uh, uh, and I'd been reading some things, people saying, oh, he's, you know, he's definitely decided to come back and whatnot. A lot of speculation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and he texted and he said, as much as people think they know what I'm going to do, they don't, because I haven't yet decided, um, you know, it's, and, and, uh, so when, when he finally did actually decide and he texted me and told me, I finally had a chance to sit down with coach pop and I've, you know, I'll be back next season. He says, I hope that's enough. I hope that's enough information for your story. Uh, for a story for for the paper, if not, call me. And so I immediately called him, and uh, <laughs> and, and he said, "I knew you were going to call." I said, "Look, I only have one question. I only have one question for you, and that is, you know, you told me how tough the decision was. What was it that was tough? You know, what what was so difficult about the decision?" And he said, "It was the kids." He said, uh, "They're they're in school. They're both in school now, and and I had to make sure that it was okay with them if Dad had another year where he's not going to be around a lot." because he's on the road and you know, he said, I want to, you know, I want to go to their, I want to go to their school events. I want to go to the teacher, you know, the teacher conferences. And, and, and so as I say, he's a, he, he's a great dad and, and boy, I'll tell you what, that, that, that is, that is really uh, meaningful to me as a parent, uh, you know, that, uh, um, you know, that, that a guy, you know, that a guy would consider, would, would actually consider retiring if his kids said, we don't, you know, we don't want you to. We don't want you to be gone so much anymore, Dad. Well, and the thing about so. the Spurs, Mike, is, I mean, they never practice. They don't really have shoot arounds. So, I mean, he, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I could see him playing for four or five years if he, if he wants to, because like it, he basically, when they're home, he's basically home. And then he comes to the game and he plays and he goes home again. That's true. That's true. But then, then there's, then there's February and the rodeo road trip. 
Yes, and, and that is a long time. time. That's a yeah, long time. Yeah. And, and they have some. They have some other long pitch too. Uh, they had a three gamer that was, you know, that was over six days, you know. So, yep. um, uh, earlier, and you know, and and that's a long time to be gone from the kids and the kid, you know. So, um, but uh, I, I I agree with you that 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 he continues to be an effective player, um, and and he has always said as long as I'm having fun playing the game and I'm not hurting the team, you know, that I'm, I'm still an effective player that, that he wants to keep playing. So he's got another year left on this contract. It's at his option. Uh, and you know, as long as he makes it through the season healthy, I, I think, uh, you know, I would not have, I would not be surprised if he came back for another season. Right. Which is, which is unbelievable. And, and you kind of mentioned yeah. it, you kind of mentioned it, but, but can you, I mean, I know that you have a couple stories about him personally. Can you shed a little bit of, of, of light on his, on his, on his background beyond the car stuff? Um, cause I know there's some other things that he's really into that people might not know about. I mean, everybody, everybody knows he's a, he's a, uh, he's a big video game guy. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean that's you know that's part of his nerd nerdiness, but uh, um, yeah, uh, no, he's a, he he's a, he's a, he's kind of a um, a bit of a sci-fi guy, and uh, but uh, he comic you know likes comic books and stuff. I mean, you know. Right, right. Uh, stuff has been out there, yeah, but he. Yeah, you know, like I said, he's a he's just a regular guy. Um, I just saw, I just got a note that Kawhi Leonard is the uh, is the Western Conference Player of the Week, and um, oh, you know, he's going to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's kind of, and he's kind of the next bridge. You know, I mean, you you you've been there through the whole, you know, Tony and Manu experience. You've obviously got a great right. relationship with Timmy, but um, you know what 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 has this last few years with Kawhi been like for you? Because I I know. You know, people kept being ready to write off the Spurs and, you know, all, you know, when they lost to the Grizzlies in the first round, like, all right, this probably is the end. And um, there's been a a couple other points. People thought this might be the end. And now, you know, not only do they have, you know, they they signed LaMarcus Aldridge, the best free agent on the market this summer, but now they have this, you know, 24-year-old robot of a player on the wing in Kawhi Leonard who, you know, might be one of the five or ten best players in the league now and is a borderline MVP candidate. I mean, it's it's really just oh, a he's stunning an MVP candidate. I think I don't think he's a borderline MVP candidate. I think he's I think he's, he's, he's oh, I meant borderline well. like borderline number one. I guess like he's a clear top three yeah. for me. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, you know, he's the best defensive player, certainly the best perimeter defensive player in the league. No question about that. Um, he he impacts the game at both ends of the floor, um, and. And now he's now he's leading the league in three point percentage. I mean, it's he's he's an amazing weapon. Um, he's he shares some traits with Tim. You know, he's the quiet, reserved guy, basically a shy person uh, who would who would just as soon never have to talk to the media. Um, right. But but has gotten better at it, and I think he probably saw that. You were here for in San Antonio for a few days. And, oh, he's much better. He is he's much better than he used to be. Much better, right. So he's coming out of his shell a little bit with us, but, uh, you know, and, and one of the funny things to me about Kawhi is, uh, and it took me a little while to figure this out, but he answers questions literally. If you ask him a question, he will answer it, but there's no, there's no, 
context to it. It, it, it. It's he just answers the he precisely answers the question you ask, and and you so you have to be careful how you ask him the question, and and you and then you have to draw him out a little bit when he when he gives you. You know, if you ask a yes or no question, you're going to get a yes or no. Right, uh, right. You have to and, make sure and, he has and, a reason to elaborate. Exactly, exactly. But uh, uh, I think he's a very bright guy, and uh, um, but but he's you know he's, he's very reserved. Listen, Pop told us three years ago he was the future face of the franchise. I'm not sure Pop understood that he would still that he would be the face of the franchise while Tim Duncan Duncan was still playing. But he has become that. No, it's crazy. And I, I, I need you to tell people about what happened when he got drafted. Because I don't think... Uh, he got drafted in 2011, right before the lockout. And mm-hmm. you, you, mentioned, you mentioned he's leading the league in three-point percentage. And I, I don't think people quite understand you know, the, the, the work he's put in to get to where he's at now. Well, I think the first thing that that led Pop to understand why he was maybe a little different than a lot of guys was the fact that they draft him and then everybody knew a lockout was coming, right? Yeah, drafts like and, just like June 25th, say, and they've got right. five days between them and the lockout starting July, July Exactly. 1st. He came into the gym and they knew that he needed to work on a shot, right? They put him with Chip England, the, uh, the, the their shooting coach, the guy that uh, that, that a lot of, of <laughs> a lot of executives around the league call the shot whisperer. Yeah, Steve Kerr tried um, to get him to Golden State, and they wouldn't let him. They, exactly, wouldn't, they wouldn't let him out. Uh, yeah, um, I'm not going to call him a genius because uh, <laughs> because we all make fun of him, but. Uh, um, it, it, he has he has photos of of, of uh, professional wrestlers on his on his wall. Okay, that's all you need to know about Chip. Um, <laughs> you know which but, ones? But, uh, but uh, Chip's Chip's an amazing guy, and and they they put they put him in the gym with Kawhi, and he he told Kawhi what he wanted him to do during you know during the lockout to to work on his shot. And of course, they were not allowed to work with him. After that, but he said, "Here's here's what you need to do to correct some mechanical, uh, you know, mechanical flaws." And Chip was the guy who told them, "Look, no, this guy, this guy can be a shooter. You know, um, don't don't worry about that. He can be a shooter." And and then he and then he told, you know, he showed showed Kawhi what it would take to you know to to improve his shot, and he spent the whole summer doing the things that Chip England told him to do uh, and, you know, and be, you know, right away was a better shooter as a, uh, as a rookie than, than anyone believed possible. And then he has continued to work on his game. The, the, the key, the key thing with Kawhi is he wants to be the best player in the NBA and he will do whatever it takes to get, to get as close to that goal as he can possibly get. And, and, uh, uh, you know, he has, he has some physical attributes that, that, <laughs> that make him, uh, uh, special, you know, the, the, the hands there are, are, they're no longer the biggest hands on the, on the, uh, the San Antonio Spurs roster, but, uh, they're among the largest in the league and he, and he, 
you know, Boban Marjanovic has bigger hands than, uh, than Kawhi Leonard. And Boban's about eight inches taller than, than Kawhi to give exactly. people some context on how big his hands are. Right, right. But he, you know, he has, he has the, he has the, these enormous hands and he got, and he has long arms and he plays much, much taller than a six foot seven, uh, player. And, and, and he uses, you know, he, his hands are not only, uh, huge, but they're quick. Uh, and he, he's just, he's just such a disruptor on the, uh, uh, on the perimeter, it's just it's just amazing. So uh, he he has a chance. He has a chance to be, uh, you know, maybe he had maybe he has a chance to be the best player in the league. He might win the MVP this year. I mean, people are already trying to give it to Steph Curry, but the Spurs are about three and a half games behind the Warriors, and Kawhi has been unbelievable at both ends. So, well, that's the amazing. That's the amazing thing. The uh, the the Warriors are off to uh, what the greatest start in NBA history, and the Spurs are three and a half games back. They're, now, they're let's, hanging around. Let's let's, let's let's be honest. They have not played a very tough schedule, um, and and Pop knows that. And and uh, um, I think they've played the easiest schedule in the league. So. It's up there. Uh, it's it's up out. there. But you know what? Yeah, they it, they've the teams they they've they've looked pretty good still. And they're they're pounding teams and they've got a lot sure. of they got a lot of talent. So I guess let's transition into that well, before we start to wrap up. Um, you know, I'm I definitely I know I've told you all I want to see this year is a Warrior Spurs conference finals. Like to me, <laughs> if that if that series doesn't happen this year, it will be a huge disappointment. Um for it the will. league. And I, I'm just curious, I, you know, you looking at this team and looking forward, you know, how do you how do you see this playing out? How do you see that matchup? And uh and what what do you think this team is capable of doing? Well, uh I, I'm 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 just like you. I would love to see that as well. Uh it would be it, it would be monumental. It it, it, it uh and, and let's hope let's hope it happens and let's let's hope both teams get their fully healthy because it would just be tremendous. The, but the Warriors uh, struggle a little bit against teams with, uh, with, with bigs, with long arms. Uh, you know, um, it, it's no, it, it's not, it was not a surprise that uh, they lost to the Bucks and that they, they had to come from behind uh, to beat the Bucks at home. Uh, the Bucks have uh, have have John Henson and they have Giannis and and uh, That you know they have that they have that perimeter disruptor, and they have a big inside with you know who's a decent shot blocker with long arms, and and uh, and so th- there there are some similarities in uh, between the the, the the Spurs and the and the Bucks. The, the, the Spurs are much better. Uh, they're much better coached. Um, Ooh, sorry, sorry, Jason. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, the, the, the Spurs are sort of built to beat the Warriors, but you know, then you have Steph Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson and now Draymond Green. I think Draymond Green is a, is a monster player. Oh, fantastic. And, and, fantastic and, uh, and, and so, uh, I, I just think it would be terrific, and and uh, you know, don't ask me to, to to say who I think would win that series at this point, because uh, it's an exercise in in 
lunacy, really, to, to try to do that because oh, nobody sure. knows Predictions what are kind of shape anybody's going to be in at that point. Sure. And, and, and here's the other thing. I mean, the Spurs are, are probably, you know, I, I, I think Spurs are going to end up in the, with the two-seed at the best, right? Uh, because because 26 and 1, right? Right, you would think and, so. And and uh, and so, uh, who do you end up with in the? Uh, who do you end up, who do you end up playing in the second round? It could be Oklahoma City. Uh, and and I think I think that is a matchup that that you know maybe maybe we wouldn't get that that dream Western Conference Finals. Yeah, so, maybe not. Yeah. So uh, I, I I mean it. it uh, my take on the league right now is that there are only there are only. Uh, four or five compelling teams, uh, and four only four or five teams that really are truly capable of being in the finals. And the Spurs and Warriors and, and Thunder uh, are among them. Yeah, to me, it's those three in the Cavs, and, and that's it. it. Yeah, those exactly. four. And so, and so, uh, um, you know, let, let, let's hope we get a get that uh, Warriors Spurs Western Conference final. It would be. It would be tremendous. It would be. It would be really great. Now, I guess uh, before we wrap up, I guess the one thing I, I don't really know about you is um, you obviously spent all this time in Denver, um, and then you worked for Fox Sports. Thir- covered the 30, for- 30, 30 years at the Denver Post, and then and then three more years in Denver working for FoxSports.com. Right, a pioneer on the digital highway. Yes, I know because they they went and hired one of the best NBA guys that could they could possibly get. So. Um, but, but how, how did you get to San Antonio? Cause I guess I don't, I don't quite know how that, how that whole transition happened. Well, it, it, you know, I was, I was at, when I went to foxsports.com along with a, 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 a group of really terrific, uh, uh, writers or content providers, as we were called, uh, you know, they, they went out and hired, uh, uh, they, they wanted to. They wanted to basically take over the uh, the internet sports uh, business from ESPN, and and uh, no nobody had their own content providers in 2000. Uh, none of the, none of the sports websites had their own content providers, and uh, it was all freelance. and And so they went out and hired nine guys. Uh, um, had some very very talented people. Jim Kelly from Buffalo. For I was going to say I know Jim. Days. I knew Jim Kelly before he sadly passed away a few years ago. He was he was yeah. There terrific. you go. And uh, and uh, and Dave Van Dyke from the Chicago Sun Times for baseball. They had uh, uh, Clark Judge and David Moore uh, for 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 NFL football. Clark Judge from uh, San Jose and David Moore from the Dallas Morning News. Now back at the Dallas Morning News covering the Cowboys. But uh, uh, and Frank Burleson for college basketball and T.R. Reinman for golf. They have been really uh, just a, a a wonderful staff. And. <laughs> and they hired us all for three years, and at the end of the three years, <laughs> they didn't renew anybody's contract. And so I was actually unemployed in 2003, uh, and I actually had gotten a phone call. Uh, I was in San Antonio covering the, the Spurs, Nets, NBA Finals in 2003 when uh, when, the, when the phone call came uh, from uh, from the vice president for business uh, operations or whatever for Foxsports.com saying, uh, we're not, we're not renewing your contract. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, and, and I actually, uh, went to the David Stern press conference that always, that always occurs in during the NBA finals. And, uh, you know, as you know, they give you the, you have to, you have to get the 
the microphone to be recognized and give your name and affiliation. I introduced myself as Mike Monroe from Monster.com. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, but I was unemployed for about nine months, and, and uh, 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 or six months or seven months or however long it was. And, but I was still doing some freelancing, uh, and I was at a uh, uh, a Nuggets. Still living in Denver, of course, and I uh, and I was at a Nuggets Spurs preseason game when when the great Johnny Ludden, who was the beat guy for the uh, San Antonio Express News on the Spurs and one of the greatest you know beat writers ever, um, said, "Hey," said, uh, "Would you consider coming to San Antonio to be the NBA writer?" And I said, "Sure." And uh, he said, well, that, that Glenn Rogers, who had been uh, the NBA, NBA guy, columnist for the uh, Express News for quite a long time. Um, and I, I, I was unaware that uh, at the time he was he was really old. He was 68 years old, uh, <laughs> which is how old I am now. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he was... Uh, he had told them he was going to be retiring in uh, in, in January, and uh, and so that's that's how that came about. And it was, uh, you know, let me let, let tell you, Glenn Rogers had the greatest scoop in Spurs beat coverage history in 1988 um, when when uh, there was a sort of an ownership uh, in turmoil situation, and the team was owned. Uh, uh, Angelo Drosos, one of the original owners, was still the head of the ownership group at that time, and there was some internal problems uh, among the group, and so forth and so on. And and you know they were short on money, and they were um, they on the same day in 1988. There was a, the same morning. There was a, a, a headline on the front page of, of the. The uh, San Antonio Express News that says that said Drosos buying Spurs and words to that effect. And, and the, same, the same morning, the San Antonio Light, the other the other newspaper in town, which is also no longer with us, um, on the front page of the paper, words to the effect, headline to the effect Drosos retaining Spurs. So it was. 180 degree opposite, and Glenn Rogers had it right, and the San Antonio Light had it wrong, and, and it was it was a real honor replacing the guy who who got the greatest scoop in uh, in in Spurs beat coverage history. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, that that's how I ended up in in San Antonio. Uh, Johnny Ludden uh, knew, knew this was this was coming, and, and uh, Steve Quintana, who's now the managing editor of, of of uh, NBA.com uh, was the sports editor at the time, and and uh, uh, Johnny hooked me up with Steve, and I came down and and you know uh, interviewed with Steve, and it was a it was a done deal in a short period of time, and and uh, really uh, uh, these these eleven years that I've been at the San Antonio Express News are actually the ten point nine one seven six years according to the first entry committee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> they've been uh, they've been as uh, they've been some of the greatest you know the best years of uh, of my career because uh, you know covering the Spurs has been has been really uh, let's put it this way a whole lot different than covering the Denver Nuggets uh, but uh, in a different way. 
Yeah, no, it's it's been uh it's been it's been a heck of a run and uh and and an even better run for you. So um so Mike, thank you uh thank you very much for the time. Uh where where can I know people have to wait a little bit before they can start to read you again, but where where can they find you on Twitter in the meantime? Uh at Monroe SA, at Monroe you know, underscore SA. I'm still I'm still there. I I, I haven't been uh, haven't been real active for the <laughs> for the last few days since I retired. <laughs> you deserve a break, uh, my friend. I, I've been I've been trying to uh, I, I've been trying to get into this retirement thing, but uh, uh, I'll be I'll be uh, jumping back into uh, some online writing after the first of the year, and uh, uh, and so all of my uh, uh, all of my my readers who uh, uh, you know they can they can they'll be able to find me. I'll uh, I'll let everyone know where I'm at. I, it, it'll be it'll be easy to find you, I'm sure. So um so everyone who's listening, uh, please uh, download and subscribe to the podcast. You can search posting up on iTunes to find it uh, and give us a five star review. That would be great. Um, Mike, this has been really awesome. Uh, thank you, thank you again for the time. Uh, before we go, I should also mention that uh. Um, the music on today's podcast is from uh, Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, Glenn, Mike, you would like this. Glenn is one of my editors. He's the web the web editor, digital editor at the Washington Post. And he also has a band. And so when I started this podcast, um, I really didn't have to look very far to find theme music for it, which is pretty neat. So um, so that's not a bad way to go. You can find Glenn's music at glennyodermusic.com. So if you like it, uh, check it out there. But, uh, but again, Mike, this has been awesome. Um, you have a million more stories that we can't tell on the podcast, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but this has been great. And, uh, it, it's cool to get it, give people a chance to, uh, see the other side of things. So, so thanks for the time and, uh, and enjoy, enjoy your brief retirement before you kick things back up again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Tim. Look forward to seeing you again somewhere down the line. It won't be too long, my friend. And, uh, everybody, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time.